You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to the 113th episode of the Pimp Cromwell Hammer Podcast. Um, no, I'm not a professional model. No, I'm not a professional singer. Although I had you fooled, didn't I? This is the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and thank you for listening. We are sponsored by our lovely Patreon subscribers, our small little dynasty of loving, devoted creatures, and by GameMat.eu, and they sell pre-painted terrain and awesome game mats, and I buy more and more every year for Shorehammer, and they are a sponsor of my convention as well. So, you need to check out GameMat.eu, and you need to check out Patreon to support this fucking show! Alright, enough of all that. So, this episode is about... How to keep your cool while playing Warhammer. That's an important lesson for all of us, to be honest with you. And what else do we cover? We cover the Necron custom dice that GW just released. And dare I say there is a slight controversy about them. If you did not already know, you'll have to listen for that. And we also have a Tesseract mailbox from our buddy Fergie. And he is Fergalicious, come to find out. So delicious. And, um... (laughs) I'm stupid. (laughs) Anyway, uh, honestly, if I was a if I was a blogger and a podcaster, and my last name was Ferguson, I would go by Fergie. So delicious. I think. I think I would do that. Or the Duchess. I don't know. All right. So this week, what did I do? Um. Hmm. Well, I took a box of unmade for chaos. Uh, ever chosen, not ever chosen. Slaves of Darkness. And I am making a whole unmade army themed thing. And I already told you about this. If you've been listening to the podcast, there will be a test at the end of this episode. And um, it's pretty cool. I um, I wanted a bunch of Chaos Marauders, I think there are. The the shirtless dudes, the uh, S&M bears. They, um, I don't really care for their models. So what I did was I bought uh, Blood Reavers from Cor- Corn Bloodbound. And I bought a box of Unmade. And I am kitbashing those two things together, and they look really cool. They look like unmade. Half of them have the unmade masks and all that. And the people that don't have the masks, I'm cutting their face off, and I'm going to be painting it like it's all gory. And I'm doing a total body horror thing. I also found a pretty neat little trick, because um, I obviously the unmade are super, super thin cultist people. They're like practically emaciated. They're slightly muscular, but they're very thin. And um, the Blood Reavers for Corn Bloodbound are, like, super beefy. And they never skip leg day. And the two of those two kits don't really fit together. So I have to, like, you know, make the weapons work and the shields and the heads and all that. But then, just out of happenstance, I start running out of weapons. And I'm like, well, some of these weapons are two-handed. How am I going to make the Corn Bloodbound's little meat stick arms, you know, line up right on the, the haft of this whatever it is? And then I decided, well, you know, I'm going for body horror anyway, right? These people cut their faces off and all that. I am going to use the thin little skinny chicken leg arms from the Unmade and put them on this beefy, burly blood reaver and see how that works 
And it is pretty unsettling, to be honest with you. And that's exactly what I was going for. So that worked out really well. Um, some of my people um, have kind of a take my strong hand sort of situation going on where I'll, I'll give them one really thin arm holding a weapon and then the other arm's all beefy. And honestly, I think what I'm going to do is make it some sort of body horror thing where uh, I'm going to paint them the the smaller, thinner arms up like they're kind of purplish, like almost like they're all into pain and all that. So maybe they wrap like big bands around their arms at the shoulder to like atrophy their arms to make them all little because they like the pain. And uh, this is I've always dreamed of doing a horror army, and that's what I'm doing. So I'm not in the painting part of that. I'm just assembling those models at my whim. I also, my um, Star Drake from Leroy Jenkins, my Star Drake is all finished and I based it and added the flock and all of that. And now it is 100% finished. I was very, very, very proud of the paint job. It is definitely the centerpiece for my whole Stormcast army. And I actually wanted to play my Stormcast with it this week at the gaming club, but I had two people say, hey, let's play Brutality. And by golly, I can never pass up Brutality. So I ended up playing Brutality instead of AOS. But I will be getting an AOS game in as soon as possible. We actually have a Brutality tournament at Shorehammer this year. A full-blown one we have. I think eight people signed up already, which I'm excited about. And we um, we did some practice this last week at the game club. We practiced our uh, tournament lists. And we're trying to be as cheesy as possible, trying to really crank it up, trying to be as unforgiving and as rules-breaking as possible. And I gotta tell you, I always say, Brutality is a pretty solid rule system. And I tried very, very hard to make it extremely balanced. No matter what you want to do, it's hard to be cheesy. And come to find out, yeah, I mean, you know, you can get some neat combinations off or whatever combos, but you can't really cheese it out like you could for Warhammer. So it's it's pretty cool. We beat the crap out of each other. I won my first game and then actually I won both my games, believe it or not, come to think of it. I played two games and uh, we demoed for a new guy that's new to Brutality. And then my friends, uh, uh, Matt, Mr. Matt, he's been on the podcast once, Mr. Matt and Beastman also played, and our buddy Derek could not make it, unfortunately, but um, he also plays Brutality. Several other people in the group do, but uh, we had an old Brutality Fest, and that is about it. I have been still working, still doing office work, all that, but I have been working on the Brutality Supplement. The first real, it's going to be a printed real supplement, and uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast or not because I've I've got memory of a goldfish. So forgive me. Fast forward about twenty seconds if you've heard this before, but uh, I'm actually introducing a dungeon crawling mode in this new supplement. So I'm giving you all the pre-made stats. A lot of people have all these models like skeletons and slimes and zombies and robots and all that, but they don't really want to take the time, and sometimes I fall into the same category. I don't feel like taking the time to stat them out. So, what I'm doing in the supplement is I'm statting out all the most common types of things like I just listed. Ghosts, zombies, gelatinous cubes, blah blah blah. Models that you probably already have. And um, they also coincide with use with this, um, it's called Lord Dreadmore's Gauntlet. He's a super rich dude who is just basically bored in the brutal, so he made this dungeon and you pay him a lot of money in order to make it through the dungeon. 
and he doesn't always keep his word. You're supposed to go through five rooms in this dungeon with different traps and monsters and all that. And if you are not injured enough, then he might extend it um, against your will, which is kind of cool. And if you can survive it, which trust me, it will be hard to survive, um, you will be able to get a ton of gold and it would be really, really helpful for your campaign if you're doing a campaign. So it'll be, it is not forgiving in any way. So don't, you know, expect to uh, come out with all your models intact. That's for sure. Oh, also, I think this week, it might have been last week, but I think it was this week, I got my GameMat.eu order in for my Rocky base terrain sets that I bought for Shorehammer, and just like I told you in the Want That or Want That Not, these things are freaking huge. They don't look it in the picture, but I should probably post up pictures of how big it is. There's um like a base set in the rock, and there's another base, and there's missile silos in the ground and there's ruins and all that so I bought two sets for Shorehammer and they match my Mars mats that I got from gamemat.eu and uh I was showing just James I'm like good god these these two big bases are a good five times larger than a space marine height wise like they're very very large they would equate three or four stories I think in a normal you know, building that you would use for ruins or whatever. So I was very happy. They're going to take up a lot of space, which is nice. And you know what? An, an added benefit that I did not know when I bought them is that the base actually has a hallway in it. You can actually place models in the base. There's a, if you're looking at the top of it, there's like an entrance at 12 o'clock and then there's an entrance at like three o'clock. And when I flipped it over, I was like, oh, wow, these corridors actually connect and you can actually put models in the base, which I did not know. So those models are already stored for Shorehammer, and that's exciting because I don't have to touch them until I take them back out of the case in time for said Shorehammer. All right, let's get on with this show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this edition of Tesseract Mailbox with the Pimpcron, we get a letter from the Duchess herself. Fergie Fergalicious Ferguson. No, actually, it was signed Fergie, but uh, uh, it's a it's a guy. So uh, Fergie writes in, "Hey pimp, longtime reader slash listener, love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement, Fergie. I appreciate it. Um, I really, really do. So I I do appreciate it. I I do. I, I appreciate it." I've got a question about the 9th edition scoring system where you get 10 bonus points for having your models fully painted. I know in previous articles or podcast episodes you were firmly against it, but at the time I remember you made a mistake. What the fuck? What? <laughs> Sorry, Fergie, I don't make mistakes. The only mistakes I'm guilty of is my pullout game could be just a little faster. Um... <laughs> When you discussed how big an impact 10 points would have had on the final score, you were thinking about the old 8th edition points, where final scores were generally in the teens. Rather, in 9th edition, 10 points could only make up 10% of your possible total, assuming you max all your objectives to get 100 points. While 10 points can still be enough to swing a loss to a win, or vice versa, I was wondering if your opinion on this has shifted at all, having time to play 9th edition more and generally giving it more thought. Do you th still think 10 points is too much? For myself, I'm in two minds about it. I personally only play with 
models painted to the very best of my ability, which isn't special, but I do try, and always prefer it when my opponents does too. It makes for a cooler looking table. However, I'd never turn away someone or refuse a game just because of it. I am always somewhat screwed by the new rules myself, because while I only play with painted models, I intentionally leave their bases plain black as a stylistic choice. So by the letter of the law, I would not get the bonus 10 points. Ah well. Well, thank you for writing in, Fergie. I do appreciate it. Um, I don't know. I still, like, I, I think, I don't know whether I said it in an article or podcast before, but... I don't really like giving points for painted models. I really don't. If they want to do that for a tournament, then that's fine. You want to do that in a tournament? I feel like that's a TO's decision. But to actually give it in regular... Well, there's two sides to this. So, if they're going to make rules like this, nobody's going to pay any attention to them, honestly. I don't feel like this is going to be widely adopted just in pickup games where it's not a tournament. Like, you know, you really are getting the points for the painted models. I don't know. And most of us, like my my personal gaming club, we do not do that. You, you scored whatever points you scored, whatever. We don't play with the extra 10 points. Um, now, do I think it's completely game-breaking? No, I don't completely think it's game-breaking. And if GW wants to do that and they want to set that standard, that's fine. But I really do feel like that should probably be a TO's decision. But... You know, on the other side of this, if I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and GW is the devil, it is nice that they set forth a standard that they want us all to play by, and they are encouraging hobby. There are plenty of people that don't paint their models, and that is slightly irritating. It seems a little lazy, but then again, there's also people that don't bathe, and I have a more of a problem with that than I do with unpainted models. So you kind of have to pick your battles. Uh, the 10 points for painting is not a hill I'm going to die on, but I, uh, I don't know. I think it's good in theory, but I feel like, remember when soul flame was a thing, like everything in, it was either sixth or seventh edition, everything had soul flame. Like a lot of Zinch weapons had soul flame and whatever. It was a special rule where, I'm not even going to remember it. Me and just James were trying to remember it the other day. Like, it's one of those rules that you always forget about. It was something like when you took an unsaved wound, then you had a soul flame token, and then the next time it was the beginning of your turn, you rolled a dice, and like on a six, they took a wound and kept the soul flame to some stupid crap. Nobody paid any attention to. And soul flame was notoriously one of those things that just everyone completely ignored. Kind of like the hazardous terrain rules. Everybody just completely ignored them all the time. Even though the core rules said, when you're starting a game, you know, go ahead and roll on this table. And one of the things is the iron bark tree or whatever, and that gives you an extra save or blah, blah, blah. They like to put these different rules in here, and a lot of times people just completely ignore them. So I feel slightly like they're peeing into the wind on this one, where I don't think most people are going to care enough to actually do the points. But if it does motivate some people to paint more models, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, G this is GW's game, and they do set all the rules. So you said you're on the fence about it, and actually, I'm kind of on the fence about it too. In practice, I do not do that. At my convention, Shorehammer, I do not give points for painted models. We do use that as a tiebreaker. If you tied for first or tied for second or third, 
then we will use that as a tiebreaker. But we don't even go by like best painted model for that. We go by most complete painted models. So if half of my army is fully painted and three quarters of your full army is fully painted, then you will get, you know, the tiebreaker. If both of us are exactly, let's say both of our armies are completely painted, but mine are based and yours aren't, then I get it, that sort of thing, and we go down the line. Eventually, if both armies are completely painted, three colors, highlighted, washed, base, blah, 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 if everybody is painted exi exactly the same, then we will finally go by, okay, this guy did non-metallic metals, blah, blah, blah. It never goes that far, ever. So I don't know if I have actually codified this in the podcast or if it was an article because those two things blend together for me. So to give my official stance, no, I don't think 10 points is any big deal. Honestly, it's totally not a big deal. And if GW wants to set that as the standard and it does get adopted into the community, then that's all fine and well. You're supporting the hobby and it's completely their call to say that they want this to be the standard for gaming. I totally get that. But my caveat to that is, is I don't foresee most pickup games ever using that role. So it's kind of like, why are you even making that role? And I feel like that really should be a tournament organizer's role if they're going to make it and implement it. But I don't think that's game breaking. All my armies are already painted. Like I, you know, I don't usually, I'm just like you, Fergie. I don't usually play with unpainted models anyway. I just don't like it. It's icky. And as I've said so many times, it helps motivate me to actually paint the models because I do not like playing with them unpainted so that it gets me excited to paint the model. So I feel okay playing with it. And that is what motivates me. So I really don't think, I think it's a total non-issue. I really do. 10 points. So I guess you are correct. I thought 10 points was a massive deal because I was really thinking that, you know, your normal game is somewhere in the teens anyway, 10 to 20 points. Giving you extra 10 points is totally game-breaking. In this case, sure, you know, it's it's 10% or more of the total points, but it would be like in the old scale of things, giving you one or two points extra if your army was fully painted. Meh, that's all right. I also think it's a little extra far for them to go with based as well. If they're going to say just painted models, fine, but to also demand basing. I mean, once again, I base my models, I paint my bottles, whatever. So it's not, it's, this is not a personal thing. I'm not whining about, oh God, I've got to paint stuff now. No, that's not the case. But you called me out, Fergie, and you made me admit that I one time was wrong. And I hope you're happy it ruined my day. Want that or want that not? On this segment called Want That or Want That Not, we are covering the new Necron custom dice. Don't know what they're called. Think they're called Necron dice. You get the point. So the Necron dice are green on the inside and they have an outer coating of silver. They are plastic cubes. You get 20 for $35, which is definitely a premium price. And they are a Necron face for the ones because typically GW always does a skull for the ones. So it's a Necron head and it is the Necron Ankh as you would call it. The symbol kind of looks like a dispersion shield. That's the sixes. And this got a really cool technical, like a circuit board sort of style and all of that. 
Uh, I'm going to say right ahead, right off the get-go, I ordered two sets. Whoopsie. So um, I think I like this. I think I want it. But, you know, after ordering two sets of it, because I did want a full, you know, 40 dice, 36 dice, whatever, I don't... I have actually never purchased specialty dice before. I have never one time in all of these years ever purchased specialty dice from GW. I know the Plague Marine people got dice and the Skaven and the Beastmen and all that. Skaven dice are cool. I'm just going to put that out there. Skaven dice were awesome. But the point is, is that I have never once felt obligated or interested in buying custom dice, but these Necron dice, they were my very first army. It is, you know, arguably my favorite army, and I wanted to have the fancy new dice. But, wait a second, this is more than just a review, because there's really not much to say, right? They're dice, they're friggin' dice, and they actually do have pips. They don't have some weird algebra you gotta do on the side of these things to figure out, okay, wait a second, um, square root of nine, oh, that's a three, okay, this side of the three, and, um, now wait a second, we've got, uh, we've got 16 divided by eight, but then plus two? Oh, that's a four. Okay. Not like those type of dice where it's always like hard to read and you got to figure it out. Like James's stupid bone reaper dice with the hands doing paper, rock, scissors with the one finger, two fingers, whatever. It's not like that. They're very straightforward. I really like the design of these dice. Booyah. It's a want that. Definitely. But there is some controversy about it, believe it or not. I found online that somebody have been, some people have been getting their dice already and they say that they're on the number five side, there's this little like divot, like it's an imperfection. And they looked at all their number five sides, and I think pretty much, maybe one or two of them didn't have it, but pretty much all of the number five sides had this like little chip in the corner. And they were very upset about it because, you know, bad quality control, blah, blah, blah. And then I see more and more pictures of more and more dice. And then finally someone shared that the actual picture of GW dice, like their stock photo of the dice also has the imperfection in it. Now there is a uproar of people saying this is horrible quality control, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of tend to agree, but it doesn't seem like this chip is on any other side of the dice. Some people were trying to claim that the chip in the corner, and it's a definitely like a printed mark like it's maybe an injection site or something like that for the number five side and um in the casting of the dice so some people are saying well look they gave us new warriors and new models and they're all scratched up and banged up maybe that's what they did intentionally as an artistic thing but like i said the other five sides of the dice don't have that chip so i don't know what the deal is i'm looking forward to actually hearing gw say something about these dice but they have released all the dice. People have them in hand. I would find it extremely hard to believe that they would do a massive recall on all these dice because the number five. As if they didn't already know about the five side of the dice. It's in your stock photo for crying out loud. Um, If I had not ordered this, I hate to be this way, but I really am not that thrilled that there's kind of a chunk missing out of the corner. Um... If I had not already pre-ordered my two sets of dice from the local store, I probably would have seen this and went, uh, I'm not getting them. So, um, I think, mid-segment here, I'm going to change my verdict to a technically don't want that. But, 
I've already got them coming to me and, you know, whatever. But I really don't, I mean, obviously a, a little nick or a chip or whatever is not a big deal. But when you're paying a dollar fifty per dice, that's pretty darn expensive for something that's, you know, dice. So, um, I mean, I have custom shorehammer dice and they are not a dollar fifty per dice when we sell custom shorehammer dice. So, I mean, it's, you know, come on, GW. But, uh, and we certainly don't have the means of production that Games Workshop does. So, I feel like this is probably a quality control issue. Um, maybe when I get my dice, I'll see that other sides have the imperfections. It's funny, because if the other sides have imperfections, then actually, it's back to I want that. Because, cool, okay, they intended to do that. But if it's only on the number five side, and it seems sloppy, and they just completely let this go through, uh, that's that's kind of giving you the feel-bads. So I, uh, I'm certainly not going to fill this hole in the side of my dice for 40 dice. I'm not doing that. But I did splurge and get my first set of custom dice ever to hallmark the idea that my Necrons are my primary army. And, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate I found out afterwards because I probably would have just passed on the dice and oh well. But I didn't, so that is the situation. So it is, I did want that, and then if this is an imperfection, I don't, I want that not. But if it's intentional, then I, I want that again. <laughs> so that's, that is my verdict, if you can kind of read through the lines there and figure out exactly what I mean. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Well, howdy, y'all. It's your favorite rootinous, tootinous cattle herder, Pimpcron, is back to give you some advice, you little buckaroos. So grab a hot can of beans off the fire and sit back under the stars while I fix the anger problems in your life through this. Suddenly, I think I've gone Australian. <laughs> that, that devolved quickly. Uh, well, I, well, I fix all these anger problems in your life, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, uh, have always been the DM in our D&D &D sessions, and I am not a, an accent person. I am just not good at them. Unfortunately, they all devolve into Australian. Not positive. Anyway, point behind this, real talk with the Pimpcron, is that we have opened beans, and we are under the stars, and we're, in this section, we're going to both be rooting and tooting, just so you know. Tooting because of the beans. So, so, how do you keep your cool in this hobby, right? What makes us mad? Let's start with that. What makes us mad in this game? Man, if you've played this game for any amount of time, you have had at least one story where you flew into a rage and started just choking your opponent. Just fucking choking them, right? It happens. I'm not here to judge. We've all done it. Anything from bad rolling to being outmaneuvered by your opponent to playing against Eldar or Tal or Space Marines can make you just fly into a rage. It is a heavily tread topic. So what can you do about it, dear listener? Well, here is how to keep getting from getting mad in 40k when you're playing. For starters, you can only enjoy this game when you're winning. Everybody knows that. So my first advice is to look up tournament winning lists on the internet and go buy just those models. Just buy the models that are really, really good at the game. 
uh, whatever the new Primaris cheese is or whatever. Don't bother painting them, and they don't even have to be assembled properly. The hobby aspect of this game is kind of for losers anyway, so matter of fact, intentionally don't add the special weapons on the models, so they can be whatever equipment you need from turn to turn. And if you've got enough models on the field, the opponent's never going to notice, right? I mean, that's the whole point. Your opponent won't remember if that was a Meltagon or, you know, last turn it was a Flamer, this turn it's a Meltagon. But when you're being assaulted, you better believe it's a Flamer, right? I mean, it might have been rolling twice or whatever against vehicles last turn, but this turn is D6 hits. Come on. It's kind of like that cup game that street people play, you know, the street, I don't even want to call them street vendors, or street hustlers, I guess. If you mix the models around enough in the cups and you move them, you're, it will confuse your opponent. That's what happens. So once you have the list of empty-handed soldiers, you need to find a game up against a real-life opponent. Head to wherever the local nerd watering hole is, and I usually just follow the smell. You can usually, if you if you are walking in a park or something like that, and you just catch a whiff of pepperoni pizza, but, like, not fresh pepperoni pizza, like, it's, it's probably some combination of thigh friction and sweat, that, you follow that like Pepe Le Pew, and you just follow that scent, it lifts you up in the air by your nose, and you just fly right over to the gaming store. Put a smile on your face if you want to win. Make a joke about unbalanced codexes or how badly your dice roll. <laughs> you know, connect with the gamers and lull them into a false sense of security. Tell them all about how you love fluffy games. And if they mention the words metagaming or netlisting, just fur your brow like you have no idea what those are. I mean, I just bought these 17 aggressor squads because I like the models. I have no idea about meta or what are you talking? I mean, maybe gasp and cover your mouth a bit. That is, despite having that exact type of volatile cocktail in your army transport, you know, you're just, you're, the whole point of this is just to pretend. You're not, I mean, clearly you do know what meta is, right? But you're just pretending. Then you pick the youngest looking gamer there and you offer to play. Make up a story about how you just suck at this game and you think your dice only have ones printed on them. <laughs> oh, depending on what army you brought, try to avoid rolling for a mission and just try to play someone that is okay with accepting whatever mission you choose, which is basically you want to play whatever benefits your army. It's not about have... There's some people that have these stupid concepts of like, oh, let's just have a good game. Ha ha. No, nobody really wants a good game. Everybody deep down wants to crush their opponent and feel the life drain from their models. And they just don't have the wherewithal or the money to buy the really cool models. And that's really kind of the elephant in the room with this whole wargaming thing. Uh, nobody wants to say it, but that's basically it. So to get back to the point, is that you're going to want to play whatever mission suits your army, and when you go to deploy your eight Wraith Knights or whatever it is you're playing, tell them how you don't know how good these are. You just bought them because they looked really fun to build and paint or some stupid shit. Then proceed to bash his metaphorical face in with several pounds of plastic. Of course, you won't be allowed back in that store for a while, but that's why you move on down the line to the next store next week with the same cover story. You're kind of like the 40k version of the Hulk from that 1970s show, always walking down the road to the next gaming store, leaving a path of destruction and broken dreams behind you. And that's how you keep your cool, by bathing in the tears of the innocent. Oh, 
I almost forgot. You have to buy a pool and actively collect your opponent's tiers. A lot of people say it's awkward when they crush someone or it's awkward when the other player starts crying because they beat them so bad. I have always felt personally like the most awkward but necessary part of playing Warhammer and keeping my cool and having fun at this hobby is actually kind of like pushing the my glass or my water bottle up to their cheek while they're sobbing and just trying to get, you know, some of that tear in the bottle. That's because yeah, sometimes they like try to fight you and you're like, dude, I'm I'm I just need your tears. That's all I need. Like quit being a baby about it. Oh my god. I just what okay. I just woke up in what time it's four o'clock in the morning. I just woke up in the middle of recording a podcast. That is crazy. I've got uh seven minutes recorded in front of me and it's still recording. I guess I've been sleep recording again. Hmm. Well let's see. Uh what's the topic? This, okay, the file says keeping your cool in Warhammer. Okay, so this is, we'll just cover that. Let's, how you actually keep your cool in Warhammer. I don't know what the previous seven minutes was, but whatever. I'll just continue to roll with it. So here's how to have fun in Warhammer. I hope I haven't already covered any of this, but whatever. Of course, all good things in life usually have planning beforehand. So if you want to have a good game, there is a lot of prep work. Be careful who you are playing, try to avoid quote-unquote that guy who you don't have fun with, and please don't be that guy that other people can't have fun with. Discuss your lists, or at least agree in general how competitive you plan to be. You should show each other your lists beforehand, and make sure both players have a counter to each other's nonsense. You should both agree on the mission, and set up and terrain everything together. All of these are good points, but not really my main point. Remove yourself from the game. And this sounds weird because it's an interactive game and you should be thinking and strategizing and all that. But you really do need to take a step back. And matter of fact, this will help you in any situation in life where you start getting angry or you start getting upset. You need to back up. And the the main reason, if you think about it, the main reason why we ever get upset in life is because we have become hyper-focused and we've got target lock or we've got tunnel vision or whatever and we're not seeing the big picture, right? So after you have rear-ended some dude on the highway intentionally and you rip him out of his car and you're beating him with a tire iron, right, that you got out of your trunk out of road rage, you should just stop for a second and look around and go, wait a second, that guy cut me off. Is this going to affect any other part of my life? Like, should I really, is it really worth it me beating this guy's face in with a tire iron? I mean, going to jail, all that. Is that really worth it? And most of the time when you realize it, it's like we get fixated on one tiny little thing. Like, oh, that guy, you know, he cut me off. Damn it, I'm going to fishtail him and then beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that's not, (laughs) I think all of us can agree, unless you're listening to this and you just got cut off and you're planning on fishtailing them, that that's an unreasonable <laughs> response, I think. So this is what I found in order to stay calm and have a fun game no matter what happens. It may seem counterintuitive, but you need to separate yourself from the game and treat it as if you're just watching a movie about your life. In real life, sometimes things just go wrong on the battlefield. You could have the most experienced soldiers 
and they just might roll all ones. I mean, it's happened a million times in history. So if you remove yourself and you watch it as an interactive story unfolding, you won't get so mad when your dice crap out on you. It isn't a failure on your part that you roll badly or made a bad decision or got caught in a trap. It was the nameless leader of the army who did all that. Now that you've made that mistake and you've fallen into that trap or you made that bad decision or you deployed wrong or whatever, instead of getting mad about that or getting defensive or being overly aggressive about rules lawyering or whatever, why don't you just take a step back and you go, you know what, let me see if this is a story I can tell myself that will be interesting to me. For instance, you've made some bad decisions and you're now in a trap. You can think to yourself, now can his soldiers make it out of it alive after the leader fell into a trap? It gives character to your battle and makes you feel a little remorse when sending a unit into combat you know they won't make it out of in order to save another unit. It's kind of like watching Save at Private Ryan or whatever. You can actually grow attached to the units and not to the competitiveness. When you start playing this way as I have for a while, all of the normal pitfalls that you would ruin your game don't matter as much. The games where I really need, quote-unquote, need to win are always the least fun, and I'm the hardest on myself. Then, when I'm putting so much weight on the dice rolls they crap out on me, that just makes me angrier. But if you look at it from a third person, and you don't get so emotionally involved in the the fact that you are playing a game, and you can get more emotionally involved in the narrative of the game, it's not you versus the other player, it's this force versus that force, and really you're just seeing how the story unfolds. Each one of our battles should be treated as if we are zooming in on a tiny portion of a huge battle, a small insignificant battle that will never likely make it to history books out of the countless battles being fought across the galaxy. But can your army on the battlefield hold the line, or will they advance, or will they crumble? A loss in the game is only a small portion of the larger battle line being fought. Don't take it too seriously. But know that all your brothers in arms on either side of that six foot by four foot table are still depending on you. And that, sir, and ma'am, is how you separate yourself from the game. Don't care, don't even look at the points if losing is a problem for you. If you start getting really pissed off when you lose, don't even look at the points. Just play the game and try to be narrative and try to get into the story of how the game is playing not the a-hole across the table from you don't even look at your army as your army necessarily it it really takes some detachment it's kind of like it's really easy to get upset with little kids because little kids are a lot of times a pain in the ass right they you know they're running around with their diaper off or whatever it's really easy and the only time that you get really upset is when you're kind of hyper-focused on this one little thing. And if you take a step back, and I've learned this you know, from being a parent, if you take a step back, like you're just about to get mad, your kid's smearing poop all over the wall. I don't know, that's an extreme example. Get the point. Like, you just take a step back and you go, hey, this is my little boy or my little girl. You know, they're, sure, they're a kid. Sure, they're doing something wrong. And of course, I need to correct their actions. But don't get so caught up in the moment that you can't take a step back and go, you know what? I, I'm going to be a good role model for them. I'm going to teach them right for wrong, whatever. But do I really need to scream? Okay, maybe if they're finger painting poop on your wall, maybe you do scream in that situation. Maybe that was a bad example. But you completely understand what I'm saying, or at least you should. If you don't, then you're dumb and there's nothing I can do about it. So anytime in wargaming or otherwise, you get upset. You are probably 
focusing too much on the exact little instance that pisses you off and not the bigger scheme of things. So if you're at this point in your road rage where you are about to fishtail the dude, pull him out, beat him with a tire iron, just think, hey, is this going to mess up my weekend? Is this going to mess up my week? Like, maybe jail is not the best thing you could do for your career, right? Just distance yourself just a little bit. And hopefully that helps somebody because I am sick of being choked every week at my local gaming club.